So this morning, I just want to bring a let's remember message. I want to remind you of how much God absolutely loves you. And you might be thinking, man, that is such a basic message. I got that when I was this high. I understand that God loves me. Yeah, well, I know you and I know me and I know life. And sometimes the, the life can get squeezed out of us and we forget to remember the most important and precious thing that absolutely changes everything. Because when we get this revelation, those cares of life, those, those desire for riches, those worries and concerns that we have, when we get the, the fullness of understanding about how much God loves us, watch those things drop off your life. One by one by one by one. When you realize who you are and also whose you are and the lengths that God was prepared to go to to demonstrate the width and height and depth of the love he has for you. Not just you, humanity as a collective, but you personally as an individual in your household, in your marriage, in your workplace, whatever you do, God absolutely loves you. And today he's going to rock up in your world and dis totally dis dismember the way you think about yourself, the unnecessary burdens and worries that you might carry. Because his love is what breaks the chains that so often we find ourselves bound by. Jesus is a fascinating case study on leadership and on love. And if you study out Jesus, it, it's, he's crazy. He, he, he turns the normal on its head, especially in the area of leadership. Like you, you read secular leadership books, even Christian leadership books, and essentially a lot of it is just about uh, taking concepts and principles from um, economics and business and then filtering them through to the church. Uh, but Jesus doesn't model secular forms of leadership. He models divine, heavenly forms of leadership, which is sacrificial leadership. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. That's his model of leadership. He doesn't exalt himself so that you can do everything for him. No, no, he came as a servant, as the least of these, to serve us as an example of how great God's love is for you and for me. It's incredible. And the same with how he loved people. God loved people in almost... This is why I love the song, Reckless Love. And it gets a bit of bad press because there's people who are a little bit too religious for their own good. And, and they get hung up on one word, reckless and take that and then they, they just smear the whole song as rubbish because, oh, God's not reckless, God is in control, God is good, God is... That's true, he absolutely is, but, but in context of the song, it's, it's almost as if the love he displays is reckless to people who seemingly don't deserve it. He flips it on its head and loves people that probably shouldn't be loved or don't deserve to be loved or, or feel like they're not worthy of love. He busts through that to make sure his love is known and felt and experienced. And we see it time and time again. So let's look at Jesus this morning. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Word. The Word that was in the beginning and created all things. This Word, which in your Bible will be a capital W, implying its divineness. There's something heavenly and inspired about this Word. This Word we know is Jesus. God Himself, the Son of God, who put on flesh, who came in human form and walked on this earth. Colossians 1.19 says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in bodily form 
and that bodily form is Jesus. So the fullness of God, the authority of heaven, was happy to come to earth in the form of Jesus. And it sounds like some weird sci-fi movie, I get that, but there is a supernatural, not superstitious, but supernatural component to our faith, which is beyond our full comprehension, and that's why we need faith to, to step into that realm to understand and trust and rely on God. So God himself was happy to come and dwell as a man, that man is Jesus. And then John 5.19 says this, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing and said what he saw the Father saying. So essentially what we see here is Jesus, the Son of God, creator of all things, the Word, came into the earth in human form, and that's why we celebrate Christmas, baby Jesus was born, and it was awesome, and there was sheep and cattle and all sorts of stuff, and wise men and gold, frankincense and myrrh. Not even his myrrh, but that's a different thing. And, and, and Jesus was, was God, fully God, yet fully man. It's this, theologically they call this the, the hypostatic union, where it's not like he was 50% man, 50% God. No, no, he was 100% God and 100% man. The fullness of God was happy to dwell in bodily form. His name was Jesus. And then he said that we see that he only does what he sees the Father doing. So the whole reason Jesus was on earth, yes, was to redeem humanity. Yes, was ultimately to go to the cross. And we saw that in communion this morning. That was brilliant, by the way. And, and, and it was ultimately to show and demonstrate who God the Father is and how he relates to his creation. So everything we see in Jesus through what he taught and through what he modeled is a reflection of what God the Father thinks, behaves, and operates for us. That's why we can see, you don't, I can't see God, I don't know, God doesn't speak to me. He does. It's through the life and nature and work of Christ. So when you read about Jesus, you are seeing the heartbeat of heaven. You are hearing and seeing God in action. It's incredible. So, in Luke 15, we see the story which gives us a clear picture of the heart of God the Father. And this is a very common story, very popular story, the story of the prodigal son. And the story goes like this. There's a wealthy farmer or a guy who has this big estate. Um, he's got two sons. The younger son gets restless. And his restlessness leads to him being reckless and he demands that he gets his inheritance paid out early. We all know this story. The father obliges and says, okay, here you go. Here's your full inheritance. Thanks, Dad. Cha-ching. Off he goes. And he lives his life however he pleases, finding every pleasure known to man that he thought would satisfy him and make him feel good and probably did in the moment. But when the money dried up, so too those experiences and so too that feeling of fulfillment that we were supposed to get from these things and he winds up feeding another farmer's pigs slops thinking man even my dad's servants even the lowest rung of employees in my dad's estate eat better than me and have more than me right now he came to the end of himself and so what happens is he, he once he gets to that rock bottom place and sometimes too 
I've witnessed a lot of people with addictive issues and, and, and stuff that when life just goes crazy for them, and, and oftentimes it can be through poor lifestyle choices, um, but we've got to get to that rock bottom, pig slops moment for us to go, you know what, I need to get out, I need breakthrough, I need change, I need to shift. And so he had this moment and thinks, if I just go back and, and I'll just beg my dad just to come into that entry level, at least then I'll have more than what I have now. And so he, he comes back and, and again, we know the story, the father sees the son from a distance and he runs and he sprints and he embraces this son, puts a, puts a coat on him, puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, orders, orders the, the catering department to uh, kill the fatted calf and put on a big party and celebration. And the older brother, who'd stayed, who'd been faithful, didn't ask for anything, he was not happy that his brother had come home. His brother wasn't deserving, in his opinion, of this reckless, excessive love that his dad was showing because he had he'd spat on the family name. He'd spat on the family legacy. So he, he'd wasted and squandered. He didn't deserve this. What? And so he got bitter. He got angry. He got self-righteous. And the father says, hey, hey, dude, all I have is yours as well. But you've got to look beyond you. You've got to look big picture. My son, sure he's your brother, he's my son, He's my flesh and blood who, who I love with all my heart. He was lost and now he is found. You're looking circumstantially. You're looking through the lens of your self-righteousness. You're looking at what you would or wouldn't do because how good you are. Whereas I am a father looking at my son who was destitute and lost. And it's almost irrelevant the reasons why. But, but what is more important is that he is now home. He is now found. And that is worthy of celebration. And that is why the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. The heaven's not looking at the mistakes they made, the, the, the disappointment they've been, the, 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 the shocking decisions they've made and where they find themselves. They're looking at the fact that they have been lost and are now home. But as Christians, we can do that, right? We can, we can be the big brother. Well, they don't deserve that. But I've been serving for years. Why should they sit on the front row? They're just brown-nosing. They're just this. It's like and when you look at the story, because this story didn't actually happen, right? This is, a pro this is a, a proverb, a parable, a story to illustrate a greater principle, greater truth about God's love. And who is Jesus telling the story to? Pharisees, the big brother, the religious, the self-righteous that know better, but look down their nose at people through religious judgment and self-righteousness. And so Jesus is correcting them. And he uses three stories in Luke 15 to do that. The prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. To demonstrate the love that God has for people. That he would leave the 99 and search and bring home the one. That he would sweep the house until the one lost coin was found. That he would run down the driveway even to meet his son who had made an absolute mess of his life to demonstrate how much he loves his kids. So Jesus came to demonstrate that for us. This is just a story. Remember Jesus said, I only see, do what I see the Father doing, I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. 
So he's giving us this story to reflect the heart of God, the love of God. But Jesus does more than just tell stories about it. He lives it out. And there are so many stories time and time again where we actually see, not not fictionally but in reality, uh, what Jesus does to display the love that God has for people. Let's look through a few right now. Let's go to the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was um, a tax collector. He was in, in business, the business sector. And he was dodgy, man. Dodgy deals. Ripped people off. Had no integrity. He amassed a lot of wealth at the expense of hardworking people like you and I. And he would overtax. He would just rip people off. And he was backed by the Roman government to do that. And so the people were powerless. While this guy increased in power, they decreased in profit. And so he was this filthy rich people that was despised by people because of his lack of integrity. And so what happens, as was the case, Jesus would come through town, the prophet, the Messiah, the preacher, the rabbi, and people would hear wind of Jesus coming. So they would flock, as you would imagine. And so, so all these people gathered around Jesus. Jesus is passing through, and, and Zacchaeus was, was a short man. The Bible describes him as a short man. I can't relate to that personally, but I, I understand that you know, the humidity is different down there, and um, the visibility is a lot more difficult, especially in a crowd scenario. That's why I love going to festivals. I have no issue with festivals. This is brilliant. I just up Periscope, there we go. We can see everything. It's wonderful. But Zacchaeus, not so much. He, he had issues. And so he climbed a tree to get a visual of Jesus to see, okay, what's this Jesus guy that everyone's going on about? What's going on here? And, and so Jesus, in the midst of the crowd, sees him, says, come down, let's go out for lunch. Let's grab a beer and a burger, let's have a chat. And we don't know what happens in that exchange. We don't know what happens in that moment of lunchtime chitter-chatter. That's the um, message version. Um, but we know, the, we know what happens as a result. Zacchaeus comes out of that meeting with Jesus, a changed man. He says, I'm going to give up half my wealth to pay back all that I've stolen. And if I've ripped anybody off, I'm going to pay back four times to absolve my sins and my selfishness. Jesus' love had a profound impact on Zacchaeus that he would change his whole outlook on life. And what he had once destroyed, he was now hell-bent on restoring because the love and the kindness that Jesus displayed to him. Let's look at the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, this woman was hemorrhaging with women's issues. It wasn't 12 times a year like normal. It was all times, all year for 12 years. And that's not normal. That's not healthy. And she'd spend every single money, a bit of money she had on specialists and doctors and appointments and tests trying to figure out what was wrong and no one could fix her. There's one particular day, Jesus was on, on, uh, on a mission to, to this 12-year-old girl who was dying on a deathbed. So, so there's a sense of urgency. You know, I've, I've had kids that are sick and when I take them to uh, emergency, when it's, when it's quite serious, because they're a kid, they get priority. So there's a sense of urgency on a child when they're sick, and especially a child that's on her deathbed. And so Jesus is going to minister to bring healing to this girl. And as, as the Zacchaeus story as well, a crowd gathered. People heard wind of Jesus coming through town, so they wanted to be a part of it. And so people started pressing in on him, 
One person who heard of Jesus coming through town and had faith to believe that he was the Messiah, he could heal her, was this woman with the issue of blood. And so she pushes through the crowd, which, which she shouldn't have even been at, because with her condition, she was socially outcast as someone who was unclean and could not participate in community because she was to be ostracized. But anyway, nonetheless, she, she, she valued her healing more than what society said she was. She, she valued trusting in Jesus more than how people viewed her and the position they put on her. And so the story goes, she busts through the crowd, reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus stops. On his urgent mission to a dying girl, he stops and turns around and says, who touched me? And you can imagine the disciples going, Jesus, are you kidding me? We're trying to be the entourage here. They've got little earpieces going, yeah, there's our, yeah, buddy. And trying to get him through the crowd really quickly and avoid all sorts of uh, distractions and stuff so he can get there because it's urgent. But the disciples are like, Jesus, are you kidding me? Everybody's touched you. There's hundreds of people here. Yeah, yeah, but someone touched me with faith. I felt power come out from me. And so he turns and he sees this woman at, at his feet, full of faith, full of fear, full of, oh my gosh, what's he going to do? And she admits to touching his hem and explains the situation. And he should have said, what are you doing here, woman? You're not fit to be here. You need to be security. Get this girl out of here. But he doesn't. He says, today you're healed. Your faith has healed you. Again, demonstrating the love of God that he would stop on mission to save a girl. He, his time was not that precious. He couldn't stop to heal another one and display the love of God to another. And we've shared the story before about the woman caught in adultery. Nowadays, adultery is like, no, what happens? No, oh, yeah, well, sometimes you just get bored of each other and, you know, oops, I did that. Oh, sorry, that's silly boy. It's not, it's not a big deal. Back then, if you were caught in adultery, off with your head, you're gone. You, you would be killed. Punishable by, by death. Back then, marriage meant something. Marriage was sacred. Marriage was for all time. People actually meant and, and lived out the vows that they committed to each other on their wedding day. Nowadays, it's like, oh, well, if I don't feel like it anymore, I'll just do whatever I want. Anyway, that's a topic for a different time. So this woman, she was caught, act of adultery, thrown in before the court. They all picked up rocks, salivating with judgment, ready just to absolutely annihilate her. And you can imagine she's cowering in the middle, afraid imminent death is upon her, looking at these stones going, man, it's all over. This moment, that moment with that guy wasn't worth it, but here I am facing certain death. God, where are you? And Jesus walks in. He's like, hello, what's going on here? And they look at him. It's like, all right, all right, Mr. Rabbi, Mr. Smarty Pants, what are you going to do about this? Because the law says she should be stoned. What are you going to do, Mr. Loverboy, Mr. I love all people? Huh? How are you going to outsmart the law here? And Jesus simply goes, okay, well, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Off you go. You who are perfect and blameless and lived up to the nth degree of the law, go on, off you go. 
cast a stone, aim for the temple, it's quicker. The stones fall to the ground. And they walk out. And this lady is saved, spared. And I can't imagine the emotion of facing certain death in one breath and then the next breath having absolute freedom. I can't begin to imagine what she must have felt. What she felt was the love of God. And he says to her, where are your accusers? They're all gone. Neither do I accuse you, but go, sin no more. Don't do that. That's not helpful. Choose holiness. Don't choose selfishness. See, see God's grace it's free but it's not cheap. So many Christians are like, yeah, God loves me and I can do what I want. But when you understand the lengths he went to to demonstrate his love for you then that, that wakes you up quick smart. Because without the love of God, we are like that woman facing certain death. The accusations of our sin at one point are going to be fired down upon us and kill us. But it's the love of God that comes in. And when we confess our sin, He is faithful, He is just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. And that love of heaven sweeps through us forgiving us, bringing us freedom, breaking the shackles and chains off us so that we, we would not return back. To, why would we return back to that? Having been fully set free from all of the past, all of the pain, all of the troubles, it would make no sense to go back to that. Hebrews 13 verse 8. It says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus Christ who is God himself in flesh, who lived on this earth doing only what he saw the Father doing, speaking only as he heard the Father speaking, his whole life, his whole ministry, his whole death, burial, resurrection, and legacy was to demonstrate the, the, the lengths he would go to to show his love for us. And so the same love that we see to Zacchaeus, the same love we see to the woman with the issue of blood, the same love that we see through uh, the, the, the lady caught in adultery, the same love we see in the, 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 the prodigal son parable is the same love available for you today and tomorrow because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He ain't changing. You might change, but He doesn't change. And I know that you know this, but sometimes we forget to remember. God loves you. He went to incredible lengths to show you His love. A love that wasn't just here pretty in a 2,000 year old story, but a love that is available for you today. A love that is available for you tomorrow. An inexhaustible, reckless, unexpected sort of excessive love that knows no bounds. John 3.16, right? One of the most famous scriptures ever. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. And it's true. God did give His only Son. So those who believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
And that's so important. That is like the, the cornerstone of the Christian faith about God giving his only son so that we who believe in him cannot perish but have eternal life with him and be restored to the fullness of relationship that God the Father desires for all of his creation. But the key point is why? For he loved the world. That's why. Not because he had these religious rules he wanted people to follow and he's getting so ticked off that they weren't doing them. So I'll send Jesus, that'll sort him out. No, no, no. For God loved the world. For God loved humanity. For God loved you. For God loved me. That's why he sent his son so that any of us who choose to believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life with us. Why? Because he loves us. It's ridiculous. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5 says, because of this great love with which he loved us. It's not this small, it's this great, excessive. It talks about this lavishing on of grace and love. 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. And as Christians, we can say, we love God. We sang it this morning, God, I love you, it's all good. But the only reason you can love God It's because he first loved you. He started it. He initiated it. He demonstrated it 2,000 years ago. So your ability and my ability and capacity to love today is only because God himself has already initiated and instigated that by loving us first. So the love we have is an overflow response to what we've received in him. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still messing around with the slops, while we were still making poor choices, while we were still living unholy lives, while we were still running away from God, Jesus still went to the cross not just for the righteous. He says, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I come for those who are separated from God. I come from those who are in hardship. I come for those who are doing it tough. That's why I came. Not to be served by the the righteous and the religious, but to serve those who are in pain, those who are in need, those who are in lack, because I absolutely love them. That is why Jesus came. This same Jesus who hasn't changed in 2,000 years, nor will he ever change. So therefore, us in our brokenness are absolutely worthy recipients of his love and grace and mercy, not because we're anything special, but because he's incredibly special and absolutely loves us. And the only barrier between us and God's love is us. He's pouring it out. He's demonstrated it for us. He's done everything he could possibly do. It's about us taking off the pride of our heart, coming down from that tree walking back to the father's estate standing to our feet when our accusers have been dissipated receiving our healing that changes everything everything when you get the love of God it changes everything And here's the thing. When you you fully understand the love of God, when you fully understand the lengths 
he was prepared to go to to demonstrate the height and depth and breadth of his love for you. When we fully start to, to see that picture come together, man, God loves me. It is so much easier to trust him with your life. Because someone who would go to that amount of trouble and length and sacrifice to show how much they love you is someone that can be trusted with your best interests. So when it comes to, like Pastor David talking about tithing, a lot of us don't tithe because we don't trust God fully. But when we understand how much God loves us, easy, yeah, oh, it is. 10% is fine, God, I trust you. I know you love me. I know you got my best interest at heart. I can do that. That's fine. Or if you're sick, I trust God's going to heal me. It might not happen today or tomorrow, but I'm going I'm to trust because I know how much God loves me. So I'm going to just continue to follow Him, continue to chase after Him, continue to be obedient to Him. It's incredible. God loves us, has the best for us. That doesn't mean the best is always going to happen to us. But even in the darkest of times, we have God's love to draw upon. Even in the hardest of times, we have God's grace and mercy to keep us buoyant and keep us alive and give us the thing that we need in our darkest time, which is hope. The very thing that the world couldn't offer. See, the, the son, after spending all his wealth and getting to rock bottom, the only hope he had was not in the people he used to party with, was not in the substances he used to take, was not in the experiences he used to have. They were all gone. The only hope he had was the father. And for us, the only hope we have in our darkest times is not our strength, not our ability, not our smarts to get out of it, not our friends, but is God, the Father, who loves us, who doesn't promise us, it's just roses and tulips and easy life, but he promises us we have hope even in the midst of our darkest times. So we don't look to the past to move forward. We look heavenward to move forward. We keep our eyes fixed heaven where our hope comes from. And we can trust God. He loves us so, so, so much. So why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to finish right there.